Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and this is Patty Holstrand, and we're on live today with Robert Nelson. Of course, most people call him Bob, but I call him Robert. And uh, probably for more reasons than the fact that it probably bugs him, because he says that his name is Bob Nelson. And uh, he lives right here in Mesa, Arizona, right in the same home area that I am. And he's CEO of Brick Cave Media and the Executive Director of Anthology Incorporated. He says he has two beautiful daughters and had been married for 14 years. He plays board games and loves Macintosh computers, Star Trek, and poetry. So with that, we'll take it away, Robert. <laughs> well, hi, Patty. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Says, uh, Star Trek and poetry and Macintosh computers. You're, yeah, they all kind of go together, don't they? It says you're a poetic, you're a poetic geek, is what you are. Is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That pretty much sums it up. So uh, you told us a little bit about yourself in, in the interview that, uh, that you know, I did for the connotations, which is being printed today and to be out on, on the newsstands on Friday. And uh, it didn't go into any more detail because you, you have a lot of things that you do. And I just want to really dig into that and find out, you know, for people what you can do for them if they if they come over and say, hey, um, I've got this book that I've already written and I got I wrote a screenplay. What can you do for me? That's a very interesting question. Um, I'll start kind of the foundation of everything that we do and kind of how we got started. Uh, there you go. I moved moved to the Valley in 1994, and at that time kind of knew that I wanted to get involved in publishing. Wasn't sure quite what I wanted to do, if it was a magazine or books or what have you, and uh, ended up getting introduced to a gentleman by the name of Joseph Junta, and together we started publishing a literary magazine called Anthology. And we did that basically ongoing for the next few years. And then in 1997, we actually started our first press, which we called Inkwell Press. And that was kind of going to be the overview organization for uh, the overview organization for the magazine. And we did that for a couple of years. We experimented with some digital publishing and some digital sales and things like that, but we found we were a little ahead of ourselves. So we spun the magazine into a nonprofit in 2002 and then kind of shuttered the the publishing side of it and stuck with the magazine for a little while. Uh, And then later on decided in 2006, 2007 that we, we were doing a lot of audio work releasing a lot of CDs, that kind of thing, and decided that we really wanted to kind of bring that under a banner and organize that as a business. And and so that's kind of how Brick Cave Media was formed, and we've kind of gone to town since then. So it started uh, a little smaller, and then, of course, it's grown into what you call a a multi-glomerate? (laughs) 
I, I like to refer to it as a microglomerate. Oh, micro, okay. Um, just simply from the aspect that, you know, we're we're very small. It's not, not a big uh it's not a big organization. And our business model isn't necessarily one of that we want to set up a shop and, and start signing up hundreds of artists and start trying to, to promote, you know, hundreds of books because we just don't have the resources to do that. So um, we really kind of focus our efforts on, on a few titles a year to make sure that we give those titles the attention that they need to have. Okay. So, in other words, they are chosen from whatever is sent to you or that you, uh, for instance, if you met somebody at, let's say, uh, at your coffee house and say, you hit it off and you say, oh, you know, I get this story, and then you, you wind up liking the story, um, but they haven't uh, got, you know, gone to the process yet of getting it published. It, and you say, you know what, I think I like you and I like the, the your book, you know, Let's see what we can do together. Does that sound, sound kind of like what you do? That's, that's pretty pretty close. Um, right now, with the sort of the list of work that we have to do, everything that we're going to be publishing this year and next year is pretty much people that I've been working with for the last 10 or 15 years. So okay. it's kind of the backlog is going to kind of keep us busy for a while. And then at some point, you know, we'll be able to say, you know, either because we have the financial strength or – or we're to the point where we've worked through all that backlog that, you know, we can start to say, hey, let's solicit some submissions and, and see what's out there. So Sounds good. That's like a good plan. Slow and easy wins the race. And, and that's exactly it. I mean, you know, and we um, this month we started an Indiegogo campaign because we really wanted to see if we could get some support um, to kind of get us to the next level and kind of mm-hmm. move us along a little bit so that we can get to that point where we're, you know, we're soliciting manuscripts and we're building relationships with new writers and new artists and new, new everybody. Um, and that takes a lot of resources to do that. So we're, we're working towards that end. It's just going to take us a little bit to get there. It sounds good. Now, how did you get involved in movies though? I mean, that seems like a, a big stretch. <laughs> the movie story is actually pretty hilarious. Um, there came a point in 2008 where I kind of decided I always wanted to, to play with film, and, and I decided I wanted to make a, a Godzilla movie, a fan film. Um, very much a tongue-in-cheek, hokey-pokey kind of film. Dress somebody up as a monster, build a little fake city in the backyard, and kind of film him stopping on it or whatever, and put it up on the <laughs> Internet and have a good time with it. So, I was telling a friend of mine at work about it, and, and he was like, well, can I run the camera? And I thought, well, okay, yeah, sure, you, absolutely, you can run the camera. So then we decided that we wanted to ask another friend of ours to be involved because he was an artist and he could draw. So we said, hey, would you be willing to do up some drawing? And he said, sure, I'd love to do that. And then the next person came so comes along, it was Brent Heffron, who happens to be the lead in the movie, and... Uh, we said, well, would you like to be in the movie? You're an actor. You want, you know, stuff for your reel so you can say you were doing stuff. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to be in this movie. So in the span of about three or four months, we went from this kind of hokey-pokey, 
you know, weekend backyard extravaganza to, oh my gosh, we should probably actually write a script. <laughs> and <laughs> so we did. And, um, you know, we wanted, and at that point then it's like, well, we just don't want to write a crap script. We got to actually figure out a decent plot. And we wrote out Sacrifice, and, and everybody loved it, the idea behind it and the plot. And so then it kind of ballooned from there. And um, we decided to cast for it because, you know, when writing it, we found out, oh, wait, there are more people that we need. So <laughs> we decided to cast for it, borrowed a borrowed a room at a reception hall for the day to have people come in and, and uh, do their casting calls. And we had 70 people show up. And you know, at that point, you kind of know, okay, this is no longer, this is no longer a weekend project. <laughs> right. um, so it turned into a year and a half uh, project. And, um, you know, we shot a, a 10 or 12 different locations. Um, we were actually able to get use of a helicopter. Um, yeah, right. And all that. kinds of crazy stuff. It was a lot of fun. So tell us about the movie itself. I mean, what is it about? Sacrifice. Well, the the movie runs on the premise that um, we wanted to we wanted to find a tie into some 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 of the myth and some of the lore of the Southwest. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things about Godzilla is that Godzilla is very tied to the mythology of Japan. So when we finally kind of decided we weren't just going to make a fan film anymore, we kind of wanted to make something that reflected where we were. And the story of Quetzalcoatl, the as the uh, Mayan winged serpent, um, seemed like it fit really well. So we kind of went through and said, okay, how are we gonna, how are we gonna like bring this into our modern mythos? Hmm. And you know, we, we kind of thought, well, you know, the the conquistadors always are good for for a good story. So what if? we could find a way to tie Quetzalcoatl to the Conquistadors. And there was this tremendous, this one Conquistador, Alonso de Ojeda, who just, he was just the perfect, he was just the perfect uh, feed line for us to be able to write the story around because he was one of the earliest Conquistadors. Um, He got to the New World and he went crazy (laughs) <laughs> and they hauled him back to Spain, and they put him on trial because they thought he was crazy, and they locked him away. So we took that and said, okay, why did he go crazy? Well, what if he went crazy because some giant monster attacked all of his guys when they got to the New World? Oh, that's great. So we kind of built a story around that. That's interesting, then, idea. Right, very handy. <laughs> and then we needed to bring him obviously into the present because we 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 tried to see if we could do a period piece and there's just no conquistador armor available so we thought okay we got to bring him into the present so we thought well what if the mayans summoned him to drive the conquistadors out but then somehow he didn't go away and they you know put him to sleep or or did something to him and he just kind of disappeared for a few hundred years and then all of a sudden pops up in 20th century or 21st century you know the southwest so um that's when we kind of concocted the idea of burying him in a chamber underneath the mountains of southern arizona 
So um, we worked that all out and wrote it all out, and it it was one of those things where it's it's you can suspend your disbelief enough that <laughs> that it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of roll from there. The what if, you know, what if this was true? What if he did go crazy because of, you know, monster attacked his men and, and was put to sleep and rose again, uh, and, you know, in our generation? That, that's a sure. perfect urban fantasy. Indeed it is. <laughs> many, a, many a great uh, sci-fi Saturday movie has been made on that premise. <laughs> Many of the sci-fi, yeah, yeah, on Channel 50, it's for sure. <laughs> I'm going like, I watch some of those, and I'm going like, you actually made a movie on that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, Don will sit there and he'll watch it, for, and I'm going like, you know, we already saw this one. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, actually, wasn't good the first time. <laughs> We did actually send a copy. Um, we sent a copy of Sacrifice to to the Sci-Fi Channel in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, we sent it to the wrong address because they just turned around and sent it back to us and didn't even open it. Didn't explain <laughs> anything. They just returned it to us. <laughs> yeah, that's it's always getting in the right hands. It's always a trick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that your your favorite genre then is sci-fi or fantasy in that area, speculative fiction kind of thing. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you either grow up on that. Is that is that what got you started? Um, you know, I, I really was a Godzilla kid. I really, you know, Saturday mornings, um, Gamera, Godzilla, any of the the kaiju, Japanese kaiju movies that came out in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really kind of, it, it was fun. And, and when you're a kid, it's so much, it's so much easier to suspend your disbelief and just kind of believe. Yeah. Um, and I always tried to hold on to that until, you know, until the point where somebody handed me a Harry Harrison book and said, <laughs> "Hey, you need to read this." <laughs> and it was this first stainless steel rat book and then that was oh my gosh that's amazing what this is this is hilarious and you know so um you know from there of course it went to douglas adams and so on and so forth so definitely got into that uh that quirky uh science fiction huh oh absolutely absolutely what is it about Harry Harrison that just totally just freaks you out? That you just totally love him? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's the, it really is that, it's that sense of not taking yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when you look at a lot of science fiction, the speculative fiction guys from the '60s and the '70s that were writing, you know, they really like took science fiction very seriously. Isaac Asimov took it very seriously. And and really was like you know oh I'm, I'm prophesizing here and I'm doing this and Harry Harrison's like no, no this, is, this guy's just gonna get in trouble for 300 pages and he's gonna get out of it by some smoke bombs around and it's gonna be a good laugh for everybody. <laughs> and, That's how he really and, is. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know and so it was, it was that good-natured you know the hero the hero is is very fallible the hero is very imperfect. 
but he still manages to to succeed, and he still manages to keep the girl at the end, and and everything right. just kind of works out. So. I remember he once said, uh, I met him uh, sometime back, and uh, he's very flamboyant, and uh, he's sitting talking, he says, he says, he says, well, I just wanted to write about about women with breasts. So, <laughs> 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 I well, like you women with breasts, so I wrote about them. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get you know, back to I, I did try. I read some of his more serious stuff. Uh, I think that what the East of Eden uh-huh. um, series that he did, um, you know, and I and I thought, okay, it was very well written, but he really got the sense that he was trying to he was trying to put himself he was trying to bring himself a little bit more in line with the Asimovs and, and everybody, and, and it really just didn't seem like his genuine voice. Well, you know, he's, yeah, he was trying to find his voice, and I think all all authors do that. Um, and he may have been at the time, you know, had you know the next wife he had to pay for. Who knows? Right, right. <laughs> Thought sure, he should maybe sure. take something seriously for a change, um, and so probably got into that. But you know, staying with Seal Rat is a is a fun series. Yes, um, I I've read. I think there's one or two that I haven't read. I think there are a couple that are floating around out there that I haven't read. And I have not read very many of the Dirt, Dirt the Detective. Uh-huh. I haven't read very many of those series, but um, the little bits that I've read, are, are they strike me as a very similar um, sort of vein. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I really just latched on to that character, and I latched on to that, that mythology that he built in those books. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved it. I just, you know, I've never been able to. I, I, the first manuscript I wrote, I really wanted to emulate that, and um, I don't know if I really did or not, but that was my goal. Okay. <laughs> that sounds sounds good. That sounds good. Um. So, uh, I just for anybody know. Um, that obviously you guys can get into this, and I should not be the only person that badgers uh, poor Robert here. Says you can call in and you can talk to him about anything because he he has done everything apparently. So it's the phone number here is seven one four two four two five one four five. That's seven one four two four two five one four five. And switchboard's open. You guys can. I know you're talking. I know you're you're back there. I know that you're breathing. I can see. I can. I can hear you breathing back there. <laughs> oh, that's me. That's just me. I'm in the back. I've uh, <laughs> been a laborious day. So. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you people like to listen, but you don't want to participate. So, do that now. Give a call or even on chat. Um, on the chat, I have included. Uh, a couple of locations on the web for finding Robert. Not hard to find him. He's uh, yeah, it's not really okay. hard to find me at all. I always <laughs> I always get mad at my mom because she never writes to calls me, and I'm like, Mom, it's not like I'm you can't find me or anything. <laughs> well, it's usually way the other way around. It's usually the right, kid. right, right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> 
So yeah, I know you've got a couple of things. Talk to us about the individual stuff that you've got going on here. You've got um, obviously your books. Yeah, we, um, what we do, and, I, and I'll kind of, I'll try and break it out a little bit so it's a little bit easier to get get your head around. Because, you know, in essence, I, I really am um, ADD, and I really do, you know, sit with something for a few minutes, and then, oh, look, a bright light, and go off and do something else. So um, <laughs> with the brick cave stuff, what we've done is divided it into four areas. And um, the areas that we work on and we focus on are, um, we focus on books, as we talked about, um, we focus on audio because we, over the years, we've recorded a lot of spoken word events. So, because of that, it really lends itself towards that whole MP3 revolution that occurred um, just about ten years ago now, where you know Apple came out with iTunes and started selling MP3s and really wanted to transition that business. Um, and we've actually created a, a fairly steady um, stream of income that comes from our spoken word MP3s. So that's the second piece of would you call these, that we do. Would you call these podcasting, or, or is that the word well, you would put to it? Podcast is a little bit different. Um, when when I started podcasting in 1999, we did a podcast called the Spoken World Show with uh, a company called Net Radio Live. And we didn't try and sell them, we just did them for people to listen to. And this was the the challenge again. We were a little ahead of our time because nobody had broadband, so nobody could really listen to what we were doing because oh, they yeah. didn't have the computer speed to do it. Um, this is more, with the Brickhave audio stuff, it's more in line with, you know, going to the iTunes store, buying, uh, buying an MP3 like you would from your phone or, or wherever you want to listen to it on. Um, so that's kind of the second major area that we focus on. And then we we have the film area that we kind of talked about a little bit. And um, and I'm going to throw the plug in because I know you're going to want me to throw it in eventually. Um, our second film will be debuting at Leprechaun April 5th, I believe, April 5th or 6th. Um, and it's called Yellowstone Sunset, and it features Brent Heffron, the same star from Sacrifice. Um, in a little bit more of a subdued role, it's a, it's a short, so it's going to be about eight or ten minutes, um, and I'm going to kind of package it with a presentation about, you know, kind of the things that we have experienced making these films. Um, wow. So look forward to that as part of Leprechaun. Awesome. And then, um, you know, and then, of course, the project, the next project that we're doing after Yellowstone Sunset is called Subterfuge, which is going to be a web series that we do. Uh, that we're going to hopefully start shooting at the end of this month, beginning of next month. Um, and then the fourth area of business that we do with Brick Kid Media is is the art area. That That's the one area where we use art across all of the other sections. So we'll have an artist design an album cover. We'll have an artist design the poster for a film. We'll have the artist design a book cover. So the artists became the biggest became the biggest department of the company. <laughs> and they were like, hey, we want our own focus. So, um, you know, we set them up with their own focus. That's good. And, they, and that's they, the brick cave side. Okay. You keep, and then, you're actually um, doing enough to keep them busy? Um, you know, I'm pretty busy most of the day. That, that takes up a good chunk of the day. And then on the... And then I also am the executive director for the poetry stuff that we that we kind of touched on a little bit. 
Yeah, we do a lot of stuff there as well. Um, one of the things that, that we're doing is uh, an event called the Lo-Fi Forums, which we do at Lo-Fi Coffee in downtown Mesa. And um, it's really an event that, that I put together with uh, Sam Clark, the gentleman that owns Lo-Fi Coffee, and David Crummy, the uh, publisher of Restless Anthology. And, and we really wanted to build a community-based event where we could have members of the community come in and talk to the rest of the community about their particular passion. Yeah. And we, you know, we were all fans of the TED Talks, and we're all fans of the Ignite Phoenix, and you know those events. But we really didn't think that they were that they were local enough. They weren't like in your community. Yeah. So we really wanted to bring that down to that level. So um, back in November, we started this series of talks, and, and it's been you know wildly successful. Everybody loves it. Um, so tomorrow night. <laughs> we're actually having two. We're we're having Kimberly Lanning come in, and she's going to talk about the Local First Arizona Initiative, which is a tremendous effort to have people focus, you know, very very consciously on supporting local business. Yeah, uh, God, and yeah. then and then we're going to have Don come in, and he's going to talk to us about homesteading the moon. So um, <laughs> we kind of like to well, we one down like the earth and one way out there. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know it it makes it entertaining because it's two subjects. You're not hearing the same thing for the entire length of the event. You're you're getting you're getting two entirely different things, and and hopefully that creates some imagination and some you know desire to know more about either one or both of those. So definitely, I I know that I know Don Donald Jocks is working on his presentation. So uh, that's. Uh, that's good because he needs to get out there and talk about his passion more often. So we're doing that, and um, and then we also do, you know, we do a lot obviously with poetry. We do an open mic uh, where we invite poets just to come and read first and third Thursdays. It's a very informal, almost like a, a little family gathering where everybody gets to bring whatever they've written and and share it with each other. And that's at seven o'clock. Um, seven o'clock, correct? Yeah, that's seven o'clock again on the first and third. Tuesday, uh, Thursdays, and then and the just, forums are on the second Thursday. And also at 7. Also at 7. <laughs> As we get those plugs in, you know, and of course this is the area. Yeah, you're right. Everybody, you're right. Okay? And, um, oh, I'm not done yet anymore. I got more plugs. So um, we also, <laughs> <laughs> because, then, well, you know, there were still five minutes in the day where I wasn't doing something, so I had to find mm-hmm. something to do. So, um we also we also host a poetry slam. It's the longest running poetry slam in the Southwest. Um, we call it the Tiny Mesa Poetry Slam, uh, and we're actually going to debut that at a new venue. Uh, looks like oh. next month we're going to debut that at the Cellar, which is a bar uh, here in Mesa on May on a center, on a Country Club. Yeah, I've been there for a while. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't have all the details on it yet because we haven't set up the exact like date yet. Uh, okay. So, you have to let me know, and I'll let uh, I'll start passing that around. Yeah, we'll we'll put that up on you know. We, I think I'm up to 28 different Facebook pages for stuff right now. So you know, just, <laughs> just do a Facebook search for Crazy Bob, and you'll find me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're attached. How did that happen? 
you know, I was going to ask you the same thing. I'm like, I'm like, Patty, I'm like attached to everything. How could I not be attached to you somehow? I I, I don't know. I have. I mean, we're, <laughs> you know, I'm actually going to whip out my. I'm actually I'm going to pull out my laptop right now. It's a good thing this is the internet because there's no uh, FCC censorship. I'm going to whip out my laptop right now. <laughs> And I'm going to hook us up. There you go. There it is. As I know that, uh, you know, I've been um, putting information about your show on there, so it's like it's really easy to attach. I don't know why. It's, uh, I, you know, I've got something in there for connotations, and i got something in there for leprechaun, so I need to uh, – we're attached there, aren't we? Um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it up right now, so I'll let you know as soon as I find out. But um, feel free to ask me another question while I'm doing that. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, heaven knows we got to have at least three things to do at once here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just hitting my stride when I get to four, so. Oh, okay. I'm looking to see what else I didn't ask you. Anyone, any, any interesting quirks or stories you would like to share with us? <laughs> uh, well, that was, that was my favorite I, I, You know, I... I <laughs> I kind of threw some stuff down because I wasn't exactly sure what you were looking for. So give me give me some parameters on that question. <laughs> well, I know because you said you have a million of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know one of them. You, you, I know you have a quirky thing about Harry Harrison, and that you you know, if I happen to find about where I would he lives. live with him, if I could, yes, that's, that's very quirky. <laughs> Uh, I think that is is a quirky thing. Now you said something about <laughs> <laughs> a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> oh yes, this is excellent. So, um, a few years ago, this was two thousand and six. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have if you have any listeners that are big fans of. Uh, uh, oh gosh, now I can't think of his name. His name just left me. Uh, Cthulhu guy. Uh, oh, oh, you're talking about you're talking. Oh, yeah, you're talking about. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm getting a chest. Love, uh, Lovecraft. Yes, H.P. Lovecraft. Thank you. Yeah, I have a lot of friends so, who are H.P. Lovecraft fans. The, um, the H.P. Lovecraft Society in 2006 mm-hmm. made a silent film for Call of Cthulhu, and. Mm-hmm. The idea was was that they made it in black and white and they made it silent as though it were a film that would have been made in the 20s when he wrote when he wrote the story. Right. So we decided that well we want to show this movie. We want to actually create an event around this movie. So we contacted the society and and they gave their blessing. They said, "Yeah, you can do a public event. You can show it publicly. We'll send you a copy. Don't worry about it." So they sent us a copy, and we decided to have a beach party. <laughs> so we did a Call of Cthulhu beach party and culminated at the end of the night by showing the Call of Cthulhu movie. And um, decided that, you know, it's one thing just to have a party. We did this. There, was, there used to be a tremendous venue in downtown Phoenix called the Paper Hearts. Uh, I'm sure probably a couple of your listeners probably know about it. Yeah. But um, we we did it there, and we decided we wanted to take it a step further. Well, we decided we wanted to have Cthulhu at the party. So Sharon Skinner, one of my writers, um, and you know, our costume designer for Sacrifice, and kind of a lot like me in that respect, 
she made this tremendous Cthulhu mask and mm-hmm. arms. So basically I put on a Hawaiian shirt, had this giant Cthulhu mask on, and had these great green arms, you know, coverings on my arm, and walked around all night as Cthulhu at a beach party. Took pictures with everybody and just had a generally good time. Did you get a chance to go to MythosCon a couple of years ago? I did not. I wanted to, and I didn't get a chance to go. Oh, that's a shame because I I know the guy who uh, bankrolled that. So he uh, that was his major hurrah for his lifetime. Yeah, my my understanding is he basically threw everything he had into it and was like, yeah, what happens happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> He definitely did that. He definitely did that. And uh, he's a longtime uh, member of, of uh, Leprechaun and Coppercon. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. He, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to make it this year due to health reasons. Oh. So it's, it's, gone, it's gone down uh, over the years here. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's an entire generation... Again, it's, you know, it's kids, people that grew up, you know, it grew up in the 60s, grew up in that time of when when science fiction really was at its height and it really was at its most popular. You know, that that generation is, is getting older now. They're, you know, they're not getting any younger, unfortunately. And, you know, we're losing a lot of experience and we're losing a lot of, of tremendous imagination um, because of that. Yeah, uh, imagination is, is is something that you think that this generation is is lacking because you know of the media that's out there constantly and their video games and things. Well, you know it's hard. Um, if you're a kid today, you know there basically are, are companies that have refined the ability to give you the message that they want you to have, and yeah. you know that's always been the case. I mean, they've always it's always been, you know, well, we need to sell to the kids, but, you know, you give a company enough time and they're going to learn how to really refine that message and they're going to learn how to really, like, like zero it in so that you're not being distracted by other messages. You're getting the message that they want you to get, you know, and kids are really, because they're still learning and because they're still sort of intaking information, you know, it's really hard to protect them from sort of being monopolized um, mm-hmm. by that media stream. Yeah, that's definitely true. But do you think that they're losing their creativity because of that? I, I do think to a certain extent, yes. I think that, you know, we're seeing um, as generations progress, you know, we're really seeing each generation become, it becomes more of a challenge to be creative mm-hmm. than the previous generation. Um, you know, and a, a perfect example of that is, you know, you look at Steve Jobs, who just passed away in December or November as the head of Apple Computer. Well, you know, he basically was hailed as a, as a tremendous visionary, as being tremendously creative. And yet, at the same time, it's like when he was growing up, he wasn't any different than any of the other kids in his garage computer group that were putting together stuff on the fly, mm-hmm. you know, there's less of that opportunity to happen now. There's mm. there's less opportunity for 
children or, or young people to explore um, new things. So, yeah, I think that's I think it's happening. I don't know. It's, um, you know, with the machines that they that we have now. I mean, it's easier to to try out, you know, video and try, you know, your hand at, at screenplay writing and 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 do what you just did, which is kind of, you know, uh, just try some things and and see what happens. Well, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I learned how to video edit from a 13 year old kid in Alabama. So, you know, because <laughs> you know, because they they're in that stage of their lives where they're not afraid to to do things and explore and okay, I want to know how to use this, so I'm just going to use it. I don't really care. I'm just going to use it, and I'm going to figure it out. Whereas we become more cautious as we get older, and we're less likely to just kind of charge out there and, and you know, whatever happens to happen. Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. So uh, if you if you liked that type of genre, with uh, obviously with Lovecraft, are you into horror because of that, or... Is it that you're just like the quirkiness of it? Um, I I like the undefined nature of it. Uh, um, way to put you it. Know, as, as a fan of Star Trek, I think you know one of the things that was the that was the most exciting about it was where are they going this week? Who are they going to run into this week? What are they going to find this week? You know, it, there's that that unknown quality mm-hmm. that drives your interest and drives your curiosity and and you really want to you really want to find out what what the unknown is. Well, I think that uh one reason we like science fiction and and that kind of thing is because it's the uh, opportunities, the what if. There is so uh, it's really unlimited. And but I I think now um it's harder to find uh, a you know, it's a story that hasn't been told already. Well, you, you know what you you're right. I think it, it, at some point I had a, I had somebody had handed me a document that basically broke down plots into something like eighteen or twenty-one different plots, and you know everything that's been written or anything that's been shot is, is some variation or some little shade of one of these twenty-one different, right. basically base points. You know, I. I I've I've heard a lot of people talk about you know science fiction is great for using as a as a hyperbole or or using it as a way to to reflect current events and as a way to you know safely point out society's problems you know for me you know science fiction was about you know what I always wonder what it looked like with a guy with a horn in the middle of his head like you know I I've never seen that before I want to see that you know <laughs> everybody gets so serious about it and everybody gets so analytical about it that you forget there's just that element of fun there's that element of seeing something that you don't get to see every day green right. skin girls yeah you know, you oh that's so weird that you would say that i was just thinking about that <laughs> and that very simple fun gets mm-hmm. lost and gets washed away sometimes when we're talking about oh you know, this story is really a metaphor for the Vietnam War. This story is a metaphor for, you know, poverty. And this story is a metaphor for this. And, like, no, it's fun. It's fun <laughs> in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you got to have the message, apparently. But, you know, obviously every story does have some kind of message. It's not just written uh, well, 
Unless you're yeah, Harry Harrison, who can get away with that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Harry, he can write something that's just plain fun because he likes, you know, women. So. Well, and the thing, you know, the thing, uh, there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of freedom that you get with success, and you know, had Harry not been successful with the Stainless Steel Rat series, you know, he probably would not have written hardly any comedy at all. He probably would have tried to write what was going to be successful. Right. You know, and and so you have to temper that a little bit with, you know, you have to eat and you have to, you know, people have to buy the books that you're writing or, you know, you, you can't just, you can't always just do, you know, uncharacteristically whatever it is that you want to do because not everyone is that fortunate to be able to do that and have it be instantly successful. Yeah, um, uh, my big love was uh, Ray Bradbury, as he was the okay. first first one that I ever read or was introduced to in junior high. So you know, he was my first love, so to speak. Sure. And uh, it was amazing to me that he could sit down and and look around him and the, the little knickknacks. Say he's he's uh, so famous for collecting, and. Right come up with a story idea. And he and as he put it once he says, Well, he had to feed his family. Right. He had to, right. he had to write a story. You know, one week he had to write a story, next week he had to edit it and he had to get it out. Yeah, you know, I mean and there's a reality there. There's a you know, there is a um there's just a, a very stark sort of stare you in the face this is a, I'm doing this to make a living. You know, I can't really, I I can't really go off the deep end because if I lose my living, then I'm going to have to go get a different job and I really just want to (laughs) write. So, you know, I I mean, there's a, there's that sort of choice that every writer has to deal with at some point in their career in regards to whether or not it's, you know, worth the potential risk to not be able to do this anymore if I'm going to write this book that I'm not sure everybody's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he used to you know, obviously write the short stories. And, of course, I think that short stories are now on a rise again because of e-books. What do you think? Thank you for that softball. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's kind of my philosophy on that whole thing. I thought 15 years ago, I thought, okay, poetry... Poetry is coming back. It's going to be, it's short, easy to read, quick to digest. People are in such fast-paced lives now that they're not going to have time to really read a book. You know, if, I, if I publish a literary magazine, they can read a couple of poems at a time, put it down, come back to it, not worry about having to remember where they were, any of that stuff. I really strongly believed um, that poetry was, was going to make a huge comeback as people became more fast-paced in their daily lives. And mm. I don't know that that ever really happened. <laughs> I don't, I'm not convinced, um, after 10 years of, of trying, um, that we ever reached critical mass on that. And when e-books started to emerge in 2008, um, after I had already experimented with them once in 1997, I kind of realized that, okay, not everybody's 
interested in reading books or reading things on the computer. So we put it away and we let it go. And then in 2008, it was like, okay, we're starting to see people do more with their phones. Maybe maybe this is starting to come back around again. So at that point, I thought, okay, we've got an opportunity here to kind of jump in on this bandwagon again and see if we can't uh, make some headway. Well, what happened between 2008 and, and kind of where we're at right now is you had uh, you had your first sort of generation of ebook reading devices, which were phones, and people started to just flood that with all the files that they had had on their computers for the last 15 years of the desktop publishing revolution, mm-hmm. and they just started pumping out PDFs like there was no tomorrow, and mm-hmm. in most cases, we're just pumping them out for free. So you get to 2009, you know, 2010, and you suddenly now have the iPad come out, and you have Amazon really embrace the concept of digital publishing. And we thought, okay, this is this is their critical mass. This is the point where we're going to get in. You know, we're going to build a reputation. We're going to build a name for ourselves. And we decided to go with. Uh, a series of short stories that we had written 10, 14 years before as part of the literary magazine mm-hmm. called Haven. And we decided to take those stories, pull them out of the poetry magazines, and package them up as a serial set of short stories and then release them because we thought, okay, these are ebooks, these are going to do well, we'll price them aggressively, you know, people will be interested in them. And we packaged them all up, we made them all look nice, and we sent them out there. And they just sat there. Yeah. Because there is so much material so quickly. Yeah. We got overwhelmed. Yeah. And and that's that's part of the lesson that we've learned in the last two years of of this whole ebook publishing thing is that um you know, we we need to we need to work harder to build our brand and differentiate ourselves and have people recognize what we are, mm-hmm. so that you know it's not just another file in a pile of files that somebody scrolls through, you know, in the back pages of Amazon. Yeah. And so we got to the point where where now you know I think we I think we're up to twenty eight or twenty nine different titles out, and. The differentiating factor today is price, and what people consider to be a legitimate ebook is a book price six dollars or more. So mm. your publishers are pricing books at ten or fifteen dollars, not necessarily just because they need to make money, but because that's the price that that establishes this is a professionally made, professionally offered book, and. So that's how the market is starting to sort of fall out and define itself. And we still have people who can say, who say well, we just want to get it out for 99 cents because we want our stuff to be out there. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I'll tell you what, we, you know, we've put four or five different titles out for free. Um, and, and we get, you know, 20, 30 takers a week um, on them. Mm-hmm. But those people don't turn around and buy anything else. They just buy right. the free stuff and they kind of go on their merry way. So, 
you really do see a sort of divergence, a split in this consumer market for ebooks. You have you have people that really are into ebooks and, and will pay you know fourteen bucks for an ebook, and you kind of have everybody that just kind of surfs around the periphery and grabs whatever is out there for free. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, I'm not sure if you knew about this, but Amazon's been doing their, uh, you know, where they're giving you some of the money or proceeds if if you do exclusivity with them. Yeah, the direct, the Kindle direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I looked I, at that. <clears throat> um, I looked at that. It started in December, um, <laughs> was kind of when they announced that. Um you know, I kind of worked through, I, you know, the first thing I did was kind of huddle up with our authors and say, look, this this, is, this could be an opportunity for us to differentiate ourselves or at least get a piece of, you know, get a piece of that pie. Yeah. And, you know, I think the message that, that we kind of came up with is, you know, the and I'm going to kind of business out a little bit, if I may. Okay. <laughs> um, the demographic of people that are willing to spend money on ebooks, for the most part, you know, obviously there are always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, those people are iPad users. So they're buying books through the Apple iBook store. And so it, you know, to, to sort of take that market out, to that potential market out, um, doesn't really make sense for us. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I said, well, what I did was I said, you know what, let's try it with a few of them. The ones that aren't moving, you know, not really moving very well right now because they're older books. Let's see if we can, you know, resurge some of the, a couple of these that, that, you know, fiction stories that needed to get a boost. Right. And I thought, obviously at first everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. So they're borrowed, they borrowed, you know, books and then uh, a few of them would buy the books. And I said, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. But uh, it wasn't more than a month after they started doing this, and it just pretty much bottomed out. Right. Um, to me, it's not worth worth exclusivity if if I could have sold more on uh, the other uh, the other distribution lines at the same time. Yeah, so, I mean, and I think you know, I think that's kind of what we found as well. Our for 2010. Um, our most successful store was the Kobo store. It wasn't Apple, it wasn't Amazon, it was Kobo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you look at that and and you think, okay, why is that? Um, and and you really drill down into that and you think, okay, well, these, these are probably more, these are probably more experimental readers. You know, these are people that, that have shunned the iPad, they've shunned the Amazon for whatever reason and, and they've chosen a different sort of experience. Um, and I don't know that I would want to remove that potential mm-hmm. from our ability to function by the promised but not necessarily delivered um rewards of that Kindle Direct. Yeah, and and I agree. That's what I found to be the case. It's you know, um, you tried it, you know, with a few, and and I don't see it. So uh, we will be moving back towards you know back to reality. 
Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it went for a um, while, and, you know, this, as, as with anything, it, it just it already ran through its course. Yeah, if you know, you if you weren't in in that first group, like if you weren't in there when it first waved, you know, now you're kind of just now you're in the after wave or the after waters, and it's all just kind of flushing around, and there's not a lot to be had left because everything's already gone. And mm-hmm. you know, if you're not an established, and that's really what what it is is. You know, my job as this publisher of this organization, I'm the sales guy. You know, mm-hmm. my job isn't just to put the book in the store. My job is to make sure people know the book is in the store and to motivate them to to read it. Right. Um, this you're the, you're the cheerleader. What's that? You're you're the author's cheerleader. Right, and that's exactly right. I. You know, this whole digital revolution, it is not a guaranteed success just by putting a file on a site. Right. That's just the start of it. Like, that's right. just your ability to get it available. The real the real challenge and the real work comes in the marketing piece because, yeah. and it kind of feeds back into the, what we were talking about a little bit ago, you know, there are, are huge established organizations with tremendous marketing power to get their message heard and you know, we have to find a way to to get in there and and disrupt that signal a little bit so that people will know, Oh, there's this local publisher here in Arizona that and they've got these fantasy books. Maybe I should check one out. You know, it's it's that challenge that we run into um as small publishers to, mm-hmm. to overcome. And I find that it's not through any direct marketing that I wind up getting noticed. You know, it's oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I, you know, so far I, I have played with just about everything I can think of, from yeah. email to Google adverts to Facebook ads to, you know, whatever. You know, I, I've played with just about um, everything, and I think. You know, the bottom line is is what's going to get you noticed is personal interaction, mm-hmm. being able to talk to people face-to-face about the book, um, and then them buying the book and then them talking to others about the book and really utilizing the, the whole intangible, um, you know, the, right. the buzz marketing thing. So. Yeah. Exactly. I find that it's the uh, outside things I do. Obviously, the kind of, it doesn't hurt uh, having a newspaper behind me. But <laughs> right, it's it's anything that you can do, you know. And 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 this is again, this ties into um, one of the reasons that um, to to draw a business analogy, it's really mm-hmm. one of the reasons that Apple has been very successful over the last four or five years simply because they've created the ability to get face-to-face with their person. The products are great. The products have been great for 20 years. Yes, when you have the ability to, to huddle up with somebody and show it to them and, and help them experience it, that's when you have a, a converted or an active person that's going to buy for it. And then they're going to turn around and say, look at what I got. I got this great book. You should check it out. Here's the website. And that person's going to be like, oh, my friend sent me here. I'm going to buy this book. And then they're going to read it, and they're going to be overwhelmed, and you know, so on and so forth. The word of mouth. Thank you. I couldn't think of it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the best and cheapest ways in order to get your name out there is the word of mouth. But you know, tapping into it is the key. Well, it's it's you know it's the it's the least expensive, but it's also it also requires the most amount of work <laughs> because you have to earn people's trust. Yeah, For someone to be energized enough to want to express to someone else that they really like something, you really mm-hmm. have to you really have to motivate them and you really have to give them something that they are excited about. Yes, definitely. So. That's for sure. So we we haven't even talked about um you know, your wife writes <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I'm gonna I'll, I'll transition right into another plug deck. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of our authors is Sharon Skinner, and uh, she has a book that we're releasing on the 29th called The Healer's Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be our I'm trying to think now. I think our third print book and 29th ebook that we've put out. Um, and we're doing a, a book release party on the 29th at Lo-Fi Coffee in Mesa, Arizona. So if anyone would like to attend, it is free to the public. There you go. And um, <laughs> the book itself is, is really um, it's really Campbell's, Campbell's Hero's Journey um, okay. from a feminine perspective. I like it. And when, when she I was like writing... It <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> what's not to like? It's that always like everybody always gets interested when I when I tell them that, but it's true. Um, when Sharon was working on her master's degree and she was trying to figure out what she wanted to to really examine, she really wanted to examine the hero's journey. Well, one of the things that became very apparent to her was that since Campbell had kind of defined that, you didn't see yeah. a feminine. You know, you didn't. People didn't write about women going through the hero's journey. So, you know, she was bound to determine. I'm going to write a book on this. I'm going to. I'm going to do this. <laughs> so, <laughs> now you are obviously, you know, in the last probably five years or so, you are seeing more feminine protagonists. Oh yeah. Um, because that's because that's what the market has finally decided they want to see. You know, when fifty percent of your population. Our ladies, yeah. our ladies are going to start speaking up and saying, "Hey, you know, we want to have some imagination. We want to see us go through this and succeed, and we want to we want the same enjoyment." Right. So, this book basically follows the story of uh, of a young woman named Kira who goes through the hero's journey, and I don't want to spill it too much. You can get a free three chapter download from the Brick Cave Books website, just so you know. Um, awesome. But you know, <laughs> it, it follows her journey as she, you know, kind of deals with her past in the immediacy of the present. You know, kind of with one eye to the future. So um, it really is a tremendous book. I, 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 it's one of if I if I say there are. There are a couple of books that that I've started this business to publish. Um, mm-hmm. It would be hers and Joe's. So there you go. I I, I had the same thing. I w- was not going to get into publishing. Um, Don was the impatient one. So 
<laughs> and uh, the the book that I wanted, uh, that I met him, and the reason why I, he said, well, why don't you just publish? Um, I had to wait for five years to get. So I had to get his, his uh, as I said, his stepsisters. I had to get both of those books before I could get the one that I really wanted. So <laughs> that's the story in that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting how that stuff comes about because um, when I when I started when I started and basically put out, okay, we're going to start publishing, we're going to start doing eBooks. You know, it really was it really was Joe who came up and said, hey, you know, I'm self-publishing my books. I don't really want to deal with that side of it anymore. I just want to write. And, um, you know, we've known each other for 20 years. And it was the same way with the magazine. He always wanted just to kind of be the content guy, and he wanted me to handle all the business stuff, which is fine. So it really it started out from that, that inner interconnection of, you know, he, he wants to write and he wants to tell these stories, you know, and they're incredible, incredible stories. And the same thing with Sharon, they're incredible, incredible stories that deserve the opportunity to be read by people. Right. So, you know, that's really the, the motivation for me um, in kind of going through this process. And it's the same truth with all of the areas of the business. You know, all the audio stuff, all the MP3 stuff. And that's all stuff that, like, I, I was there to hear when it was recorded, and I'm just I'm blown away at how wonderful it is, and I really want other people to hear it as well. And same thing with the art, you know, our artists, like I see their art and I think, oh my God, I really, this person deserves to be seen. <laughs> so. That's what we're here for. Indeed, indeed. So that brings me right into what advice you would have for an aspiring writer. You know, um, the first the first thing that I would say, and I'm not, I don't think I remember what I wrote down, but I think it was a very similar sentiment. Um, just keep writing. Don't um, don't worry about if you're if you're writing well. Just write. And I, you know, I think I, I think basically the message that I wanted to convey was, you know, be open enough to learn, but mm-hmm. confident enough to employ your skills. There you go. Um, let the rest of it kind of work itself out later. You know, there's the whole business side, if you're going to decide, and it's a conscious decision if you're going to self-publish or if you're going to try and pursue an editor or an agent or, you know, go that route. Let that stuff happen later on. Mm-hmm. Be a writer when you're writing. There you go. That's a good, that's a good uh, thing because you have often people say, well, what should I write about? What genre should I write about? Should I be looking at? Uh, what to, what's selling now? And I I said no because what's selling now is not what you are going to sell two years from now. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because um, one of our newest writers that we signed earlier this year, Scott Woods in Columbus, Ohio, um, came to me and said, "Hey, what are we going to publish?" And I looked at him. At, well, I didn't look at him, but I sent him a note and I said, "Well, what do you want to write?" <laughs> and it was like, "Double." Don't build something that you think is going to sell. Write what you're passionate because people are interested in you just as much as they're interested in what they're reading. So you really want to give them 
a genuine piece of creation that, that comes from who you are. I was uh, talking to somebody earlier today about that and said that because she's she's more into working with nonfiction writers, mm-hmm. and so she she's passing uh, you know, some fiction work to me, and she says, uh, I said, well, in order to truly understand a fiction author, you you probably need to be one, <laughs> because we're we're just we're we're wired differently. It's yeah, fiction and nonfiction is an entirely different um I don't want to say philosophy. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's very much an entirely different thought process mm-hmm. in the creation of your work. You know, yeah. if, if you're if you're non fiction, you really should be interested in portraying as accurately as possible whatever it is that you're writing about. Mm-hmm. So you know, you, you know. Typically, you know, if you're if you're writing a recipe book, you have to be very specific and you have to be very exact in your recipes. Otherwise, your recipes turn out like crap and nobody buys your book. <laughs> right. Um, so it's it's, yeah. it's almost a left brain right brain thing. Uh-huh. And you know, people that are able to cross that and go back and forth and write like historical fiction and you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um are very interesting people because they have the ability to to portray those historical events but yet still kind of play with them a little bit and give you a nice twist that makes it different. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh yeah, I I don't know very many people who can do do both effectively. Yeah, you know, fiction is was it non or fiction is from Venus, nonfiction is from Mars, or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's it's the characters; they're in your head, and you got to get them on paper. And so I, I've got like nonfiction authors. Well, you know, I'm trying to do this this fiction book, and I just I guess I'm not able to see it well enough to get it into words. And I said, well, that that's going to be a problem. <laughs> well. You know, nonfiction. You tend to be you tend to be doing a lot of research. You're you know you need to know about the subject that you're writing about because you're writing about a certain amount of reality. You're writing about an event, or you're writing about you know a recipe, or you're writing about a person, or you're you know you are examining a, a, a defined existing entity, and you know in in fiction, you're kind of building a world, and so there's a lot more creativity and a lot more, you know, to be honest, you can fudge a little bit, because, well, it's your world, so you can do whatever you want. That's right. That's right. If you want to throw smoke bombs in every two chapters, you throw smoke bombs in every two chapters. <laughs> as long as other people like that, too, that's great. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you know. It's your you world, be, you know. Yeah, it's your world. And if you want to be Frank Herbert and write a world that it takes freaking master's scholars to try and interpret, well, you go with your bad self. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just never really got into that story. That uh, <laughs> I'm going like, okay, they're giant worms, and they make spice that people get high on. Okay, I get that part. <laughs> Yeah. Weird. Yeah. 
It's like a whole religion and philosophy. I'm going like, what? I I was just like, oh, look, it's Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> Before he was anybody. <laughs> yeah, it was the women. You got to go back to the women thing, you know? That's great. Well, well we, you know, we are casting without a shirt on, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, Leprechaun. That's uh, April, you know, sixth through eighth. Although we are starting on Thursday night, and we got uh, definitely your your indie uh, film festival that we that we got started on that night. And of course, we're doing it again on on Saturday. Uh, have you gone take taken a look at the Leprechaun website? Because we we're doing kicking on there, man. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm really gonna, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really gonna show a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, I'm gonna talk a lot about, um, a lot about the process that we went through in making sacrifice, and you know, talk about the the stuff that we ran into, the troubles that we had, the successes that we had, you know, and, and really kind of give people um, that sense of having been there. Um, it's not. It's definitely not going to be. I'm just going to plug the DVD in and and just turn it on. You know, I really want to have a good interaction with people, especially if if people are curious about filmmaking and might want to make their own films. You know, well, I, I really want to share what we learned. So, this is really going to be the the great weekend to do that because it's not just you guys that we've got um, several companies coming in, and. Uh, sharing their wares and also uh, sharing all their knowledge and experience. So you, you might very well be able to, I see you as hobnobbing with these people and actually, you know, getting to know them. Uh, you know, some of them, uh, one guy is a uh, special effects coordinator, used to be special effects coordinator for for uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, good, because, you know, I think I met him at Comic-Con last year, at Phoenix Comic-Con, and he gave me his information. And, um, and I'm saying this to a broadcast audience, but I think I misplaced it. <laughs> so this will be a great opportunity to catch up. Yes, because you got yeah, him, and then he, you know his his uh, the group that you know does a lot of the uh, special effects for you know body, and they're going to help out with the <laughs> they're going to help out with the raise, raising from the dead. Uh, Easter thing that we got coming on. Oh, yeah. excellent! Yeah, I figured you know, hey, we're there on Easter, and a lot of people aren't coming because of it. But you know, I just you got to have a sense of humor about those things. So we're gonna have a zombie fest. Good. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And of course, then we had the the zombie uh, patrol coming afterwards and teaching us how to get rid of the zombies once they're there. <laughs> of course, of course, you got to eradicate them when you know they've got a whole Armageddon thing going on there. You know, this right. is this right. is 2012 after all, so we we got to get prepared with this whole zombie apocalypse thing. <laughs> exactly, I think even the CDC now has procedures in place. So. Yeah, yeah, so I uh, hey, that's fun. It's a free for all. <laughs> 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 well, we are we are past our time, but that's fine because I that's why I put ninety minutes on just in case. And uh, it's always fun talking to you. And of course, we haven't really had chances to sit down and really chew the fat. 
No, and I, and I always I always enjoy doing that, Patty, because you're a lot, you're very entertaining to chat with. <laughs> Well, you have fun to talk about. So that's as uh, we we get into what we're doing. You know, we're both passionate about the same, almost the same things. Yep. So uh, that, that we have things in common because of that. Which which you're going to talk about in May when you come for your lo-fi <laughs> forum, I believe. Is that correct? <laughs> it's a shameless, shameless promotion. Shameless. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, talk about that and and you know how I get into newspapers and and uh, why I why I bothered to take this on at all. <laughs> and uh, just have some fun with you know how how does that work? You know how how do we go about that and and why I think that uh, that I think it's important that newspapers stay alive uh, as as well as you know the news newsings, even though they're on uh, the internet now. Um, what we're losing because of that? Sure, sure. So uh, it's, it's it's why I'm going to be there, and I'm going to have newspapers for everybody. Good. So with that, anything you want to add? I know I asked you that last question about the uh, the dragon. But I, I, uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> just I would encourage everybody to visit our websites, BrickKidMedia.com, Anthology.org. Um, our events coordinate a lot through LoFi, so LoFi.com. Um, you know, those any one of those sites will get you information that you need. So definitely, and of course, I, I dropped all that information right on the chat, so everybody, all you need to do is copy and paste it into your into your browser and find out all the stuff that uh, I loved how you coordinated your colors. Okay. <laughs> yes, do you like that? <laughs> yes, I do. Because I okay. the four sites, so each one's kind of a different shade. Yes, it's, 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 I've let everybody know. So you have you, you have your media uh, company or, or branch of your company in a different color compared to the book branch, compared to compared to the audio, compared to. Uh, what am I missing? <laughs> the video. Oh, the so, video. Okay. Yeah, so the, the, mov- the movies, yeah. So each one has, I mean, green, blue, reds. I don't remember what the color, but uh, it, it, that way they know, okay, this is something different. It's not just right. another page on your one website. Yeah, we actually, um, and that was actually a change that we just made recently. We we had four very distinct um Websites that were that were really, I mean, it was almost like you just you, you weren't connecting them at all, and um, and we really decided that we wanted to bring some harmony to that, yeah, and kind of let make sure people knew that they were still with Brickade Media, but that they were with a different function within Brickade Media. So um, that's you know we found these beautiful colors, um, mm-hmm. and just kind of said, okay, we're gonna give you. It, it really is kind of a spectrum, uh, so that you uh, you know you're you're getting all the different flavors of the stuff that we do. There you go. I think it's a wonderful idea, and of course, that, again, it's a matter of branding, and that's what you've done. Well, you know, every day, every day, <laughs> <laughs> never ending. I know it. Oh, I know. Well, it's been well, wonderful. I look forward to. I hope I see everybody out at Leprechaun. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and again, we we are going to be there tomorrow night, 
and I am bringing uh, uh, somebody who I'm hoping to be in May as well with me, uh, Chet. He's going to check out the venue and and kind of figure out uh, uh, how to deal with you guys. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. So with that, uh, I I just put the newspaper to bed this morning, so I am really dragging today. Yeah, I gotta go home and uh, make those color ads. So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> no yeah that way because I, I I had a couple other people tell me yeah I meant to get that and I said well it's fine because I'm not really putting that up until Thursday anyway. I actually need to get to something that actually pays me right now. So, <laughs> so yeah, Thursday's fine because then I'll, I'm going to redo the, the colorized version and, and put that up online. Okay. That sounds great. So uh, with that, just to let you know that that uh, within about an hour, this uh, program will be completely audio, so I can give you the code to put the player up anywhere you want to put cool. the show. So for those of you who are sitting in the background breathing heavy and didn't and and didn't communicate and didn't I know you're sitting there cuz I see you. Um <laughs> I see you. I see you. So, uh you know, spread the word around and and send the link to your friends and and that way they can also listen at, to this whole entire show in their entirety at their own pace and and uh, whenever they want to listen to you they can listen to you so that, that's the great thing about it is it keeps on kicking so with that I'm going to say goodnight uh, Robert and I'll, t- I'll see you tomorrow night yes ma'am I will see you tomorrow night take care okay goodnight bye bye that was Robert Nelson and he is going to be out at Lo-Fi tomorrow, which is right in the heart of Mesa. It's right off of Main Street. And also with us, obviously, would be uh, our speaker for the night. One of our speakers for the night is uh, none other than my partner, uh, Donald Jocks. And he's been talking about home getting space. And, of course, his, his uh, launch of his uh, company to help do that. So we are definitely excited just to you know hear more about uh, his passion about the, uh, getting us all into space. That way we can uh, spread out a little more and uh, not be and just have the opportunity that we've always wanted to have uh, since Apollo, and that is obviously to get out there in space and to reach outer distances that we haven't done yet. So uh, he'll be talking about that tomorrow night. So with that, I am just dead on my feet tonight, guys. So I'm going to say goodnight for the night. And you guys have a pleasant uh, rest of the week. And uh, for those who know, Connotations will be out. We'll be picking those up on Friday. And they'll be in the news, uh, popular newsstands, your bookstores, your local bookstores, your coffee houses. And anywhere else, and if it's not there, then you need to get let me know on Facebook, and that is PJ dot Holstrand. That's uh, PJ dot Holstrand. H U L T S T R A N D is PJ Holstrand, 
H-U-L-T-S-T-R-A-N-D, and find me on Facebook. Uh, we got connotations in there, and uh, all that information will be live and streaming soon. So with that, I'm going to say goodnight, and you guys have a great one. <laughs>